Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. We're talking to members of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice about what it means to be a trial lawyer, what it takes to be great at the practice of law, and how being a part of NCAJ enriches their lives and careers. Produced and powered by Law Pods. Welcome, everyone, to Voices of NCAJ, the podcast for the North Carolina Advocates for Justice. I'm Amber Nimmicks, your host and communications and marketing manager for NCAJ. My guest today is Mona Lisa Wallace, founding partner at Wallace & Graham. During more than 40 years as a trial lawyer, Mona Lisa has represented thousands of victims, consumers, and working people going up against some of the largest companies in the world. Her recent work includes winning more than $500 million in landmark nuisance damages against Smithfield Foods for homeowners living near hog farms in eastern North Carolina. Currently, Mona Lisa is one of six co-lead counsels tapped to lead the Camp Lejeune Justice Act litigation, which aims to bring justice to veterans and civilians poisoned or killed by the Marine base's contaminated water supply between 1953 and 1987. As many as one million people may have been affected. And that's what we're talking about today. On September 27, Mona Lisa and several other leaders of the Camp Lejeune Justice Act litigation will present a CLE full of updates on the status of the claims process at NCAJ headquarters in Raleigh. To register, you can go to ncaj.com events. Mona Lisa, welcome to the NCAJ podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the kind invitation. Well, this will probably be a long answer because it's a really complicated subject, but can you give us a 30,000-foot view update of what's happened with the Camp Lejeune litigation in the years since the Justice Act passed? Certainly. Well, as everyone knows, the Act was passed by Congress, which was simply an incredible feat. A lot of the Marines fought and worked for years to get the passage of this important act. But the act was passed August 10th, 2022. And as you said, it will likely affect over a million individuals. You're talking veterans, family members, contractors, and others. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of them consumed this contaminated water that had TCE, PCE, vinyl chloride, benzene, and other toxins. Mm -hmm. The act was written in such a way, Amber, that it allowed or required that claims be filed with the Department of Navy prior to anyone bringing a lawsuit. The act was written to require that all lawsuits be filed before the four federal judges in the Eastern District of North Carolina. So North Carolina is the sole and exclusive district for the filing of the claim of the lawsuits under mm -hmm. the Camp Lejeune Justice Act. Right. So what happened, as you might imagine, is tens of thousands, now over 100,000 estimated claims have been filed with the Department of the Navy. But sadly, the Department of the Navy has not made any offers whatsoever to any veterans, family members, or others who filed those claims. Really? Regardless of the seriousness of the disease or the age of the claimant. So the lawyers, after the six months passed, began filing lawsuits in the Eastern District of North Carolina. So now mm -hmm. we have over a thousand lawsuits filed in the Eastern District of North Carolina, the tens of thousands of claims filed before the Department of Navy. 
and representing and now being a part of leadership, uh, while things have moved slowly in the past, I strongly believe that since the court entered this leadership order that you mentioned, I think it was signed on July the 17th. 2023, Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see things happen and move much, much quicker. The court also ordered that a case management order be presented to the court jointly from the Department of Justice and from leadership for Camp Lejeune. Mm -hmm. And that case management order is about to be sent to the court. And of course, that will, once it's sent, it will have schedules and things will move much more quickly along. And this leadership, you are one of six co-lead counsels who was named by the judges to help lead the litigation. What does your role entail in this process? Thank you for asking that question, Amber, about the leadership order. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're correct. The court appointed uh, six co-leads and a lead counsel uh, with decisions to be made by the majority vote. There were hundreds of lawyers who applied for leadership. The decision was made by the four very, very excellent federal judges in eastern North Carolina. Apparently, it was a joint decision because the leadership order was signed by all federal judges. The leadership order indicated that it expected leadership to, quote, and I'll read it to you, fairly, effectively, and efficiently represent the interest of all plaintiffs that were before the court with claims that would come under the Camp Lejeune Justice Act. It went on to further say that, quote, it shall be the responsibility of the lead and the co-lead counsel to provide direction, oversight, and to coordinate the responsibilities of the other committees. Of course, committees were named in the leadership order as well that the court thought would be helpful. Uh, particularly the executive and the steering committees. Uh, They would work closely, and their activities were to be coordinated by the co-lead and the lead counsel. Lead and co-lead were charged with formulating and presenting positions on substantive and procedural issues during the litigation and directing any work in the litigation. So essentially, the court did give a lot of responsibility to the six co-leads and the lead counsel and gave specific direction and what they expected of us. And it is a very, very big responsibility. I can tell you that the leadership team is taking it very seriously and we're working tirelessly, doing everything we can to quickly move these cases forward. This role resemble other roles that you've had in similar large class action suits or Is this completely sort of uncharted territory? This act is actually an uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. Lawyers around the country who handle big cases, generally the cases involve liability. You have to prove the other side was at fault, for example. Mm -hmm. In this case, the liability was decided by Congress and agreed upon by the Justice Department. So liability is not an issue. We're dealing with almost a million people or more who were exposed. We're dealing with seven diseases that were presumptively approved for VA benefits, but numerous other diseases, some diseases and cancers that were not studied by the government studies. Mm -hmm. There are not certain damages that are allowed. For example, 
in my Smithville cases, we were allowed to get to the jury on punitive damages, damages to punish for the misconduct. Mm -hmm. Those were taken away by the act. So the act makes the primary issues being those of exposure. Was the contract or the wife who lived on base or the veteran, were they exposed sufficient number of days to specific chemicals? And did they cause specific diseases? Both specific and general causation are at issue. And what are the damages? So it's a very unique, and I want to say, I don't know exactly the word, but it's not your regular MDL type of case. Mm -hmm. Uh, As to our firm, we're extremely comfortable with this case. Our firm's handled tens of thousands of cancer claims, uh, leukemia claims, kidney cancer, bladder, lung, because we've for 40 years represented ordinary workers and workers' conference civil court who've been exposed to asbestos, benzene, coal ash, coal tar pitch, all of those types of uh, exposure. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a mess toward individuals, not a class action. It has not been defined as a class action. Right. So they're actually, at this point in time, individual lawsuits. So I guess the word I'm trying to say, it's a very unique and uh, one of a kind litigation. One of the first congressional acts to ever, to my knowledge, establish liability mm-hmm. and recognize the need for damages and compensation. Wow. So there are a lot of a lot of attorneys out there who are representing folks because there's just so many folks who need to be represented, right? And they all have to go through the Eastern District of North Carolina, correct? They are required to file the claim forms if they're going to file a case. It has to be filed in the Eastern District of North Carolina. It can't be filed in other states around the country. It is an exclusive jurisdiction. So sharing the knowledge that your leadership team is gaining with the rest of your colleagues who are out there representing these folks, it's a really important part of the process, right? It's extremely important that uh, leadership get the information out. In fact, the court, in its wisdom, appointed two liaison counsel, two lawyers particularly whose role it will be and who we expect to have a public website up Mm. and for them to work on that so everyone can stay apprised of the status of the litigation and uh, what leadership and others are doing. The CLE you've put together for September 27 will address many aspects of the litigation. What will the uh, leaders of the litigation be talking about? Well, first, I'm very excited that leadership, uh, we have many of the members of the seven members who were chosen as uh, leadership, and we have co-chairs of some of the committees. So I'm really, really excited that leadership and the committee co-chairs were willing to come to North Carolina and speak on September 27th. But there'll be a number of issues. For example, there'll be a, a leadership update about who leadership is, the committee chairs, subcommittee chairs, all of that. There'll be discussions about conversations with the Department of Justice and the positions taken on behalf of by leadership and others on behalf of the plaintiffs and you know the government's I, I presume position on issues. We'll talk about having, I'm sure, the liaison council and an open public availability to monitor and to follow what's happening in the litigation. Uh, for lawyers, I'm sure there'll be information in a way that they can regularly obtain that information. We'll talk about the medical experts, the the causation. I'm sure there'll be someone speaking about the status of the Navy claims, 
Hopefully there'll be some offers by September the 27th from the Navy, and it will just address as many of the issues, I think, uh, that can possibly be addressed. The case management order that's getting ready to be sent to the court, that's going to set the schedules for the future moving forward. Uh, that's being negotiated between the Department of Justice and leadership. That will be submitted presumably by next week. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions from lawyers about the case management order, the schedules, the possibilities, I'm sure, of an early resolution. I'm sure questions will be asked about that. So all kinds of issues will be addressed. And I'm just very grateful to leadership for agreeing to come to North Carolina and do this, and more importantly, to NCAJ for sponsoring it. Great. What are you hearing from some of the attorneys out there about the litigation process and the challenges they're facing, not just in like trying to navigate this incredibly complex, uncharted territory, but also in working with their clients? I think the lawyers and the clients around the country are very saddened by the fact that it's been a year since the legislation was passed and there have not been any offers. Mm -hmm. I think that is concern and question number one. I will share with you, Amber, that we ran our database. We represent thousands of Camp Lejeune victims and family members. And our database showed that about 30% of our clients are deceased. And the other clients are in their late 60s, for the most part, uh, as an average age. And that's because you've got to remember, it, these exposures started in the 50s, 40s and the 50s, and lasted and virtually ended by 1987. So it's latent progressive. It took decades for the diseases to occur. And then it took years before the Justice Department or the government accepted responsibility. Um, this case even went to the U.S. Supreme Court. So the delays, I think, and the lack of stepping in, you know, within that six-month period and making the offers, which I think is what the lawyers and a lot of our clients hoped for, has been has been very uh, disheartening. But there's a lot of issues that lawyers are concerned about. The chemicals are complicated. A lot of the diseases, uh, there have been government studies that defines them and what their exposure, which exposures cause some of those diseases. Some of the possible diseases and cancers that were not studied may need to be studied, which will cause further delay. And the common sense delays that the lawyers are having. The Navy was very slow in getting a portal to receive documents up and open. So lawyers who have been filing claims have had trouble and delays even getting their claims filed with attachments and providing information. When we, we lawyers, our medical department, and we have a large in-house medical department, when we ask for medical records, there are delays. The military records, it can take us months to get that for the clients. So it's been a slow process, a lot of delays. Having said that, I'm extremely, extremely optimistic. Now that leadership is in place and you've got very good leadership and we're about to have a case management order, I think things will be moving much more quickly. And also, according to a recent CBS article that I heard, one of my clients, Mike Portain, participated in, comments were made 
um, either the Department of Navy or DOJ that they hope to move forward more quickly in the future as well. So I think it's going to be optimistic and far, far much quicker and a lot of things happening very, very soon. Good. That's great. So what do you hope that the folks who attend this CLE will, uh, will be able to take away from the program? I think everyone who has a significant number of cases or cases I'm hopeful will attend, just finding out what has been done and what leadership intends to do and learning more about the scientific studies and the positions that are currently been taken by the Navy, the Department of Justice, understanding how the cases will be moving forward and essentially who in leadership or what groups will be handling what issues, finding out about a public site that allows lawyers to get updates. Our firm, quite frankly, has been having Friday calls for months with lawyers around the country that we're working with. A lot has been done by leadership firms and others to acquire documents, to get experts, And at this point, uh, a lot of information is being consolidated, and all of that will help the process to move much quickly in the future. So I'm extremely optimistic. Great. And last question, sort of on a personal level, as a veteran of many of lengthy and complex legal battles, what advice can you offer for lawyers who may not have ever been involved in in litigation that is requiring of... uh, of them, the sort of patience and fortitude that these kind of cases, that the, the Camp Lejeune cases are requiring of them. First, I'm hopeful they'll attend the seminar because they, I think it'll give them a, a great general update on the process as a whole. But candidly, these cases are more complex than an ordinary person would believe them to be. There's so much in the press that's wrong about there's a settlement, there's not a settlement, about you already qualified, just a lot of information that's not accurate there. I feel like lawyers who've never handled these type of cases, their clients would be benefited if they would associate with lawyers who have handled these in the past. If uh, Amber, you asked me to handle a criminal case, I would run so fast away from it. But latent diseases and exposures to complex chemicals, it's, a, it's complicated. So I encourage them strongly to work with other lawyers and firms who've, who've done this type of work like our firm for years. And I also encourage them to find out about how that they can obtain the information, go to the seminars, the webinars. And honestly, our firm and almost any other firm, if other lawyers call us, Lawyers have, uh, for the most part, great camaraderie, and we're all willing to share anything we know with those who, you know, aren't as involved day to day in the cases as we are. So we welcome anyone to call. Wonderful. Well, if anyone out there would like to take the September 27th CLE, you can do so virtually or in person at NCAJ headquarters in Raleigh. To find out more, you can go to our website at ncaj.com events. And while you're there, check out the lineup of CLE and other member events we have planned for this fall. Mona Lise, thank you so much for being on the program today and for putting on this fabulous CLE and for, for the leadership role you're taking in this. This is, um, we're all very grateful to you for everything you're doing. So thanks very much. 
Thank you. By the way, I'm honored to be representing these veterans and their family members who've done so much for all of us. So it's a, it's a privilege and an honor. Well, they are lucky. They are lucky to have you as well. Thanks very much. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Voices of NCAJ. For more information on the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and how to join or support NCAJ, please visit our website at www.ncaj.com.